Yeah, read the words, don't listen to my voice. Chapter 9. So Ecclesiastes chapter 9 to chapter 11. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them or share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. Same destiny awaits all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil and are in madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. The living know that that they will die, but the dead will know nothing. They will have further reward. Even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go eat your food with gladness and drink, with, drink your wine with a joyful heart. God always has always approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always in all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labour under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with, your might, with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. I've seen everything under the sun. The race is to the swift or the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all moreover no one knows when their hour will come as fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them i saw i also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me there was once a small city and only a few people in it and a powerful king who came against it surrounded it and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man, poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. No one remembers that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer needed or heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Chapter 10. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honour. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. The ruler's anger rises against you. Do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offences to rest. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that rises from a ruler. 
Fools are put to many high positions. While the rich occupy the low ones, I have seen slaves on horseback, while princes go on foot like slaves. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stories may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness, and fools multiply words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else what is happening after them? The toil of fools wearies them. They do not know the way to town. Woe to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of their idle hands, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry. And money is the answer for everything. (laughs) That's interesting. Do not reveal the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom. Because a bird in the sky may carry your words and a bird on the wing may report what you say. Chapter 11. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water and they pour rain on the earth, whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, that the evening your hands will not be your hands not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However, many years Anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But all, sorry, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there are many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your hearts give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, and whatever your eyes see, but know that all these things God will bring you into judgment. So then, Banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigour are meaningless. Thanks for that epic Bible reading. That was awesome. I'm going to pray before we start. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Please give us ears to hear and help me to speak your words. Do your work in our hearts. Refine us. Rebuke us, encourage us, guide us, challenge us. In Jesus' name, amen. There are three main themes that I want to bring out of that very long passage we just read. 
And that is death, time, and chance. Death, time, and chance. Three inescapable realities we all face. And I want to look at how the gospel speaks to those three things. I remember the very first time that I kind of came close to death or had a brush with death. Um, And I had a brush with death in two ways, with my own death and the death of someone else. The very first time was actually when I was born. I was very sick, but I don't remember that, obviously. My sister used to say, Wendy, she used to say she remembered when she was born, but I don't believe her. (laughs) Just an anecdote. See, chance, you don't know what's coming. Um, When I was 12 years old, I was very ill, and I was in a hospital in Sydney, uh, and there was no room left in the adolescent ward, so they put me in the ward with the babies and the mentally handicapped people. And so 24-7, all I heard was screaming kids and the moans of mentally handicapped teenagers and adults who would rip their drips out of their arms. They, they had to uh, use bandages to keep them down. And there was lots of very sick kids, and I was very sick. Death never really came over my mind. I never thought I'd die at that age. Um, but a few beds up, there was a little kid And I remember vividly the emotion in the room. Uh, Someone gave that kid penicillin. And they were allergic to penicillin. And they were dead in moments. And I remember the mum running into the room and screaming out, My child, my child, my baby, my baby. So by chance, that child had been given the wrong medication. Death came swiftly on that child. And their time was up. And the poor mother was just beyond in grief, just beside herself. And these things face us, whether we like it or not. We're all going like on a train, and the destination is the same, death. We don't like talking about it, but we're all going there. And we can be shocked at how death grieves us. And chance happens. You know, when a war happens or a natural disaster, everybody feels it. Nobody's spared. You could do a business venture, it might fail. If you work on the land with crops or, th- or, or anything to do with the weather, you don't know what's coming. You don't know whether the weather's going to be on your side or not. Now, of course, God is in control of everything. But because we're on the side that doesn't know what God is doing, it looks like chance to us. This, to give some context, the book of Ecclesiastes is one of three books in the wisdom literature of the Bible. The first one is Proverbs, which kind of says, here's a rule book for life. If you do this, this good thing will happen. Sort of like good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. And then when you come to Ecclesiastes, the writer who many people think is Solomon says, well, sometimes bad things happen to good people and sometimes good things happen to Did I say the same thing twice? Bad people. So he kind of, he's the skeptic. He's like, well, yeah, this good thing can happen, but then just one thing can ruin it all. Like he says, if a fool is put in power, it's a terrible thing. Because it makes all the people under them suffer. And then the last book in the book of uh, wisdom literature is the book of Job, which is even more perplexing. He doesn't know what's happening behind the scenes. And 
Satan comes before God and says, I see your servant Job. He's very faithful to you, but you know you've blessed him a lot. I bet if you take away everything, he won't love you anymore. And so God gives Satan permission to take everything away from Job except his life. So everything is taken away. And then his, his, his wife says, just curse God and die. And he refuses to curse God. He says, naked I came into the womb and naked I will, will be depart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then he starts complaining and complaining and, and he just gets more and more angry. And he's got these three really annoying, is it three or four, these, these really annoying friends that come along and they're like, well, Job, you know that God blesses good people. So here's the list of the sins you must have done to be in this predicament. And it goes on and on and on for so many chapters that with this so-called wisdom. And Job just gets more and more angry and keeps defending himself. And he demands, God, you must reveal what this is going on. I demand you to reveal yourself and tell me what's going on. And God does reveal himself in a storm. And he says to him, look at the complexities of creation. Do you understand even a tiny bit of it? Do you know what I'm doing? Do you have the power to run the earth and run the universe? And God never tells him why he does these things, but he does show himself. And Job says, I repent and I sit in ashes. He basically says, okay, wow, you're too powerful, God. I can't demand you to do anything. And then God blesses him doubly at the end of his life. And God still doesn't tell him why it, why it all happened. So we get a glimpse of that in Ecclesiastes with chance that God is doing stuff, but we don't understand it. We can't figure it out. We can't figure out the key to life. We can't figure out how to get success and happiness and, 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 and find its shape and then just hold it in place for us like that. It's like smoke. It's like a mist. I woke up this morning and outside was this weird mist. Now, if I was to walk out and try to grab it, I wouldn't be able to grab it. It would just, nothing, but, it's, but I can see it. It's so weird. And that's what our life is like. And it can be very frustrating for us as Christians because sometimes we think, wait a minute, I'm a Christian now. Shouldn't everything go much better than this? Why is all this bad stuff happening? And I want to, I want to read another scripture to you quickly which talks about an even heavier frustration, an even heavier pain that, that people feel when they're suffering great injustice perhaps because of the rulers that are over them, like it was mentioned there, when a fool is in power. And it's hard for us to kind of uh, get a feel of, of this because we live in a country where we don't so much have tyrants over us. But I want you to visualize what this might mean for somebody in most of the world that, that ha has a lot of oppression and injustice in their country. Actually, I'd like someone to read it for me, if someone has a Bible or a phone. Ready to go, Les? Could you read Matthew 13, 24 to 30? Um, give you the microphone. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed 
in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And then 36 to 43. Then he left the crowd and went to the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the f- of their father. Who ha- whoever has ears, let them hear. So we live in a world of wheat and weeds. Now the, the interesting thing in that parable, when um, the word weeds is used, it was a kind of weed that was also called false wheat. Because when it was young, it looked a lot like wheat. And you couldn't tell the difference between the wheat and the weeds until they'd matured. And that is what it's like sometimes within the church and certainly in society. You you can't always tell who's a believer and you can't always depend on the people you hope you can. And in our economy, we would like right now just to destroy everything and just get rid of all the bad stuff. But we're really bad at doing that because we can't tell what's in people's hearts, but God can. And it's a great comfort to think of the coming judgment on people who are being oppressive when you're the one being oppressed. So Jesus has come and brought in a new kingdom. But this kingdom at the moment is an invisible kingdom. Because a kingdom has three things at least. A king, subjects, and territory. But we can't see our king right now. We can't always tell who the subjects are. And we don't have a territory yet. Jesus says, you can't say the kingdom of heaven is here or there. The kingdom of heaven is within you. So we have this invisible kingdom growing up as God grows wheat. And at the same time, there's all these weeds causing trouble. And we get frustrated. But God is waiting until the right time and then... He'll get rid of all the evil in the world and everything that causes people to sin. So there's a phrase I want you to keep in your head that I felt very strongly to talk about this morning. Now and not yet. Now and not yet. That's where we are in our lives right now. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus says in the beginning of Mark, the kingdom of God is here. And then straight after that he says, the kingdom of God has come near. So it's this dual reality. We are living with the promises and the effects of the new kingdom now, but they haven't come to full completion yet. 
It's a bit like being engaged. Yes, you promised to be married, but you can't have all the benefits yet. It's annoying. <laughs> I think for myself and Regina, it was the very worst part of our whole relationship, was engagement. <laughs> or it's a bit like Sally and Nick building their house. They've got the foundation down, but they still haven't been able to finish the house. And it keeps raining, so they can't finish it yet. And it's just like, what's going on? And that's where we are. Tension. And what I really wanted to press today as we look through these things to keep in the back of your mind is when you're facing a situation that you feel deeply unsatisfied with or disillusioned by, it might be your marriage, it might be church, it might be your family situation, your work, your school, your uni, how you feel about society. Remember, we're in the now and not yet period. We get glimpses of God's kingdom shining through. When you see someone healed, when you sense very clearly the Holy Spirit guiding you into something, that's part of the new covenant, the new kingdom. When you see a demon cast out of somebody, when you see the unity and love between Christians, these are glimpses of a reality that's going to be so much better than what we're experiencing now. Glimpses of a reality where there are no demons, where there are no diseases, where there's no death. But even Lazarus, when Jesus raised him from the dead, he died again. Because the new kingdom has not come in its fullness yet. So when you see these discouraging things, or you come to church and you go, ah, I might stop going to church because surely church shouldn't be like this, or these Christians hurt me, remember, you're seeing glimpses of the kingdom, but we're not there yet. See, giving up because church is not going well for you is kind of like deciding not to get married because... You can't live with your fiancé yet. Well, of course not, because we're not there yet. And what's our job now? Like the parable said, our job now is to grow wheat. And there's a danger for us as Christians, uh, particularly in the West where we're, we're very uh, obsessed with our rights and things like that. We can spend more time grumbling about the way society is going than we do planting wheat. And we can become ineffective if we get sidetracked by all the bad things that are happening. We shouldn't really be surprised. Non-Christians are going to do non-Christian things. And Christians are going to hurt us because God is still changing us. God is still forming us into perfect people. But, wow, we're not there yet. And we won't be there until Jesus returns and then we have new bodies and new, new natures. Everything will be perfect. And I want to read to you um, a few more verses to bring this out. Because the key point I want to bring home today is don't place all your confidence in your experience now. Because you'll be disappointed. Place all your confidence in the kingdom that's going to come in, in completion. The new heaven and the new earth. When Jesus comes and destroys all evil. Place all your confidence there, because then you won't be disappointed. So, when it talks about death, it says in verse 4, chapter 9, verse 4, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. Now, in traditional Jewish thought, a dog was kind of like an oversized rat. So, it's kind of saying, you're better off being an alive rat than a dead lion. But what does the gospel say about death? 
Can someone uh, read to me 1 Corinthians 15, starting from uh, verse 35 to 58? Anyone got it? Yep. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 58. Let's see what the, the, the new kingdom has to say about death. Sorry. Uh, 15, 35 to 58. The resurrection body, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life until it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the stars differ from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is, ra- it, is ra- it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Is anyone here happy? Oh, one more there. I can just <laughs> is it, I've gone mad. Is anyone here happy with their body? <laughs> My assumption is the younger you are, the more likely you are to say yes. And I've wondered at times, why do I have all these weird diseases? I have arthritis and a whole lot of other annoying ailments. And man, I'm looking forward to my new body. (laughs) And the older you get, the more you look forward to your new body. So every time you get frustrated with God for the body you have now, turn your mind towards the future when you get your new body. That's the promise we have. Your body's only going to get worse from now on in. Unless you go on some crazy fitness program, but it'll still get worse again after that. (laughs) And the older you are, that fitness program's going to be harder and harder to do. (laughs) So probably less likely to happen. Don't place your confidence in what God does to your body now. He's got a new body waiting for you, the perfect body. I don't know how old that body's going to be, but it's, probably going to be like 18 or 21 or something, I'm guessing. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) It's going to be a good body. Revelations 21.4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. No more death. And no more of all the sorrow and tears and mourning that go with death. I can't even fathom not knowing that death is coming. It's going to be so awesome. Place your 
confidence, your focus on the new creation that's coming. Don't become discouraged by the dying creation that we're part of now. And time. In Ecclesiastes 9, 11 to 12, it says, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Whether you die young or old, time is against you. I remember when my grandfather died, my mum's dad. I was doing beach mission and we were having our day off and we were meant to go down to Byron Bay and have a rest, have a good time, then come back and keep doing beach mission. But I couldn't have a good time because I became consumed with grief. And it shocked me because I only knew my grandfather from when I was pretty young. We didn't, never really had D&Ms or anything like that. Just remember him like cracking whips and feeding chooks and stuff like that. He was a really nice man, but I was so grieved when he died. And that's right. Because death is not the final word for us. And death is not natural or right. And every time you feel that grief, let it point you forward to the time when death will be no more. And when time will be eternal. We'll never run out of time. In Revelations 22.5, it says, We will reign with God forever and ever. You might have a low reputation here, but there you will reign forever. No more limit of time. I get so stressed when I have a limit of time, especially when I have a decision to make, and it has to be made by a certain time. Because, you know, when the time comes and you haven't made a decision, you've still made a decision. What if that's the wrong decision? And there'll be nothing like that in heaven. There'll be none of the frustration of the constraints of time. You guys that are in uni know about the constraints of time with assignments. Such a depressing thing. <laughs> and if you're a procrastinator, it gets even, it's even worse. Dylan's smiling. <laughs> John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that whoever believed in him will not perish but have eternal life. You see, this is a radical new thing. And that's why this new covenant, this new kingdom is so awesome. Because the three things that everybody put up with forever, since the fall of Adam and Eve, we get to escape in the future. We get to escape death. Because for us, us death has no sting. We get to es escape the constraints of time because we will live in eternity with God. And the really interesting one is chance. Or another way to put it is uncertainty. You might bust your guts working at something and then it fails. How annoying. So frustrating. And our work is often like that. But in heaven, we'll have meaningful work where our labor always produces more than we put in. See, because work is not a result of the curse. Frustrating work is a part of the curse. Meaningless work, repetitive, boring. That's a part of the curse. But when we go to be in the new creation, we'll have meaningful work. We'll always have 100% job satisfaction. Way back in 2000, I worked as a high school music teacher for a year, and I think my job satisfaction lasted about six weeks. And high school music teachers have a retention rate of about seven months. 
because you have these grandiose ideas. Oh, I'm going to be like Mr. Holland's opus and I'm going to have a choir and I'm going to have this awesome band. But really what it is, is like 10 young guys turning their amps up full and all playing something different at the same time and not expecting to do any work. Yeah, Les has been a music teacher too, he knows. It's, it's mostly just, just super annoying and a deafening experience. <laughs> so you go, you go in there as like this musician and you come out deaf and crazy. And that's another thing I'm looking forward to. I have to have tinnitus. I can't wait to go to heaven and, and not be able to hear anything when it's quiet. David, can you, can you, can you sympathize? You? <laughs> but all this frustration will be gone. So I want to encourage you to remember, we're in the now and the not yet. Some people say, you don't want to be too heavenly. That some people say, some people are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly use. But some people, many people, are so earthly-minded, they're of no heavenly use. We're in the now and not yet. Please, don't give up because things go wrong now. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but I give you peace, peace the world cannot take away. Don't place your confidence in your circumstance now. God is for you. And God is still doing miracles and still guiding us. But the complete eradication of sin and death and uncertainty and, and time limits, it's not here yet. We're in the engagement period. Fix your eyes on Jesus and the promises he's given you. And the irony is, when you put your confidence in what God has coming for us, in some strange kind of a way, you're able to live as if those things were happening now because of your attitude, because you're focused on those promises. It just makes the hardships, as it says in the Bible, Paul says, I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory that's coming. Don't even compare. It's just going to be so much better. So let me leave you with that phrase. Now and not yet. There's better, perfect things coming. Place your confidence in the promises of God in the new creation where there'll be no more death, no more tears. The old order would have passed away and the new would have come. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your awesome promises. Please help us while we're in this invisible kingdom to keep planting wheat and to keep our eyes fixed on you. Please help us not to give up. And thank you so much for bringing us into a family which will escape death, the constraints of time and uncertainty. In Jesus' name, amen.